makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. This is First Forces Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I am Teokazan Ghost Horse. And this is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Forces Radio. And from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, producer of First Forces Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices IndigenousRadio.org for archive, downloading, and listing. The long-standing story of colonialism may be just a little different interpretation than the current actions of colonization. Here is the difference. Colonialism is a political agenda of an ideology quite often associated with forcing non-Westernized peoples who suffer from the consequences of colonization and appropriation of lands for the use and benefit of the colonizer and quite often rationalized as the eminent good for all people, including the original peoples of a particular region. In this case, the indigenous peoples of the Association of Indigenous Councils of Northern Gauca in Southern Colombia. The biased news to rationalize and threaten indigenous populations because of their living with what is left of their lands they have been living with for time immemorial and practicing what they speak of. Manuel Rosenthal is a Colombian activist, researcher, and community organizer. Manuel has been involved for four decades with grassroots political organizing with youth, indigenous communities, and urban and rural social movements. A 14-year-old indigenous activist has been murdered in Colombia prompting horror and shock at the latest in the spate of killings of environmentalists and social leaders in the South American country. He was a member of the NASA people and was accompanying his father when he and two other guard members were killed, according to the Association of Indigenous Councils of Northern Cauca, ACIN, a local indigenous organization. And we talk with Manuel Rosenthal. Thank you, Manuel Rosenthal, for joining us here on First Voices Radio. I wanted to 
honor you and honor the news that you're bringing from the Southern Hemisphere and South America. There's indigenous activism still going on. And when I mean indigenous activism, I'm talking about a 14-year-old indigenous activist who was murdered in Colombia. If I could say his name right, his name was Briner David Kukunami. He was a member of the NASA people who was also with his father. And when he and two other guard members were killed in an ambush, and according to the Association of Indigenous Councils of Northern Gauca, ACIN, a local indigenous organization. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are and if you have other kinds of information going on here. And you and I do know it's a long running struggle for a lot of Native people as well. And I'm glad that you're here, Manuel. Thank you, brother, for showing up here. Thank you very much. And thank you for asking me to come and then also for allowing us to collectively remember uh, Brainerd, David, Kukunyame, and other indigenous victims and indigenous youth. People might remember that indigenous guards in Colombia, and particularly the NASA people, have established an unarmed group of people in each community, the Kigwe Land Technized Guardians in NASA Yue. And these are people who uh, are not paid, are not economically rewarded and whose training is mostly consciousness and then a love for their community and territory. And there's a minimum number of indigenous guards, men, women, children, elderly, in each community throughout indigenous territories. Now it is a national guard, national indigenous guard. And they have... They have been able to recover, kidnap people to unarmed, unarmed army, unarmed groups to uh, protect their territories and their people. And what they have is the authority of their consciousness and their dignity. And they've become amazing examples of, of their bravery uh, without weapons in a country that has the largest amount of assassinations in the entire continent and the largest number of displaced people through war and massacres. So Brainerd David is a 14-year-old that we're mourning uh, whose job was to look after a particular territory of Northern Cauca, Las Delicias, that is very close to where we live. And there are conflicting versions as to what happened, but we know he's, he was unarmed and we know he was protecting his territory and that it was a cowardly assassination and that there was at least another indigenous guard, an adult, assassinated at the same time. And just a couple of words on context. One, up to the 23rd of January of this year, there have been already 10 massacres in Colombia with 96 people being assassinated. A massacre defined by the assassination of at least three unarmed civilians by an armed faction. So that's one thing people should understand. And last year, there were more than 330 massacres, uh, sorry, more than 96 massacres with more than 338 people murdered. And proportionally, given the proportion of indigenous peoples in the country, the greatest number of people assassinated in these massacres were indigenous and Afro-Colombian people. 
what's behind all this violence, even though the media generate confusion about this and conflicting versions, etc., is the way to understand these mass massacres is to know who benefits from this. And the beneficiaries of this are people related to drug trade, to huge drug, drug trade. And this is not to be understood as gangs, but as a massive, the largest transnational corporate money-making business in the world, but that involves the Colombian economy massively. 92% of the cocaine produced in the world comes out of Colombia. 92%. So it gives you an idea. The territories are being invaded by the monocultures of uh, coca and marijuana. And these are transformed and distributed worldwide. But those who profit from this are huge corporate interests, elites throughout the planet, and then most of the money, even though it's Colombian-based, the production and the distribution, most of the money flows north like it happens with any and every other corporate interest. This is what's going on, and Brainerd David is a victim of this. You talked about the unarmed guard and that and maybe there were some conflicting stories coming out of that. Who were the ones who were blamed for the murders? Okay. Now, the peace agreement, as people might remember, was signed between FARC and the Colombian gov government in 2016, November of 2016. The, 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 there were five essential points to the agreement, none of which have been kept by the Colombian government. None, not at all. And this led to, amongst other things, a massive uprising, popular uprising, uh, in November of 2019 and in uh, April of 2021. Massive uprisings. Most people in Colombia, the inequality, the poverty has grown. There was a huge component of this agreement which involved the voluntary eradication of coca plants and marijuana plants in exchange for support so people could engage in other types of economic activities. This was not kept. This was used to produce statistics. The eradication did take place and then people were not uh, given what they were promised. So the outcome of this was uh, the only, almost only, profitable a crop in the country is related to drug trafficking. But here's the tragedy. Many of the people who disarmed, the FARC members who disarmed after the signature of the peace agreement, went back. In fact, the main negotiator for FARC, Ivan Marquez, is now commanding the Nueva Marquetalia, a huge FARC army that it has launched war throughout the country as well. And there are other factions all over the country, but the sad component of this is that these, although their, their discourse is revolutionary, in fact, they are massively engaged 
in drug production and drug trade. And these are factions throughout the country. In Cauca, one of the areas most, most uh, affected by violence, these armed factions are absolutely dedicated to drug trafficking and drug trade through weapons and fighting each other for controls of territories, recruiting indigenous boys and girls. And if they do not want to enter these armed groups, they are threatened and assassinated. So that what we have now is, unfortunately, massive amounts of money flowing due to drug trade, a, a massive monocultures of coca and marijuana, and then at the same time, enforcement of recruitment of indigenous youth into these groups and corruption of many indigenous organizations and leaders into this drug trade. And those who are not corrupted and who defend the territory like these indigenous guards, then they become a problem for all of these mafias that have moved from the top to the bottom to the territory and everybody feels threatened in the area. That's what's happening now. I'm thinking that there has to be a term. I could say there's such a thing as corporate cartel and all the, the you know pseudonyms that are behind that with a name such as FARC or you, know, you can name them anything. But I'm thinking about the largest guerrilla army. If I was to bring that to another country, a larger country, such as the one I'm, we're sitting in now, the United States, what would it interpret into when it comes to how it impacts the communities in Cauca and all of Colombia? Yes, I, it, that, that is a way for people to, to understand this situation. I'll give you some data that I think will help people understand a little bit so they know how this is not a problem of Colombians. I mean, this is not a problem of indigenous Colombians and territories, but something much larger. And the beneficiaries are in these large countries and the U.S., etc. You have in the statistics for 2020, the data shows that one kilo of cocaine was sold in the United States on average, one kilogram for $20,000. The same kilogram was sold in Europe, in, in Western Europe, for $45,000. In the Middle East, for $90,000. And for $200,000 in Australia, New Zealand. Now, these are data that I, I have recovered from the Transnational Institute and from people who know this and study this constantly. So this is massive. Now, 60% at least of this cocaine flows into the US, which means 40% flows into Europe, the Middle East, and Australia. Therefore, the largest amount of money from the trade does not come from the States anymore. It comes from Europe, the Middle East, and Australia. Yet it is the United States that dictates policy uh, on drug trade in Colombia. And it is, has been and continues to be under the Biden administration a repressive type of approach to a social problem. So here's the connection. Transnational corporations from the U.S., 
oil extractive industries, uh, mining industries, etc., plus food producing corporations. Every U.S. corporation has forced the Colombian government to sign what was called free trade agreements, which actually benefit the largest corporations and whatever is paid to Colombian labor decreases. The territories are being invaded by these mining initiatives and other corporate initiatives so that the environment for the production of drugs, these other illegal but corporate business, is stimulated by this kind of economy. Now, the argument the U.S. uses including this government, for repressive approaches, is that many people in the U.S. are dying from the consumption of cocaine. When in fact, if you look at what's really happening in North America, the people who are dying now are not dying from cocaine consumption. The data shows shows it. They're dying from the combination of cocaine with medications such as fentanyl that is produced by illegal transnational corporations such as Pfizer. And we do not see enforced eradication of Pfizer and its corporate production of this drug that is killing Americans. But we do see that the approach to Colombia is terror. Add to that the fact that people rose in a peaceful uprising in April this year, which actually wasn't un- was unforeseen before. Eighty percent of the Colombian pop- uh, population was up peacefully against this structure. We don't want any more drug trade. We don't ma- want any more corporate exploitation, and that's why people came out. The re- response from the government was a fascist response where the army and the police murdered people openly. The Inter-American Commission of Human Rights demonstrated this and gathered the information. What is the Biden's administration response to this? The creation of three new, fully funded by the U.S., huge police uh, barracks and army forces in Colombia. Three huge new ones. The announcement was recently made. In other words, Colombia has to remain the main producer of cocaine and marijuana, the main producer of profit from that that flows into the states, which is a means towards another end. Eventually, this trade will end. It will generate a lot of profit for the North and it will open our territories for extractivist industries of the North. So this is colonization in today's version, covered up by drug trade and the criminal Colombians. In fact, what's going on is we are made into, forced into this trade in order for the justification of the invasion of the territories, the long-standing story of colonialism. There was always a pretext, and we always deserved to be colonized. Now it's cocaine and drug trade. Manuel Rosenthal, I'm thinking about the effect, again, of all the numbers you talked about, the big pharma, Pfizer, worldwide, the global trade, uh, the corruption that it sets up. 
and I'm going into the um, this world, this current pandemic that's going on, but also feeds into how we react. So there's no work to be done, basically, to prevent the change in the context of each of us doing something, even as communities, because we're always reacting to the next big change or the next death or the next funeral. What would you see that would affect the listeners to take maybe a, a closer look to what we're doing to because we do affect what's going on in other countries here in the U.S. as, as we affect what's going on in reservations here. Uh, but we tend to have a bypassing language. We yes. bypass everything, even against environmental destruction. And we tend to put people in categories as, as oh, they're just activists and they make public speeches. And, you know, we'll keep them over there on that land away from well, we can, as individuals, make money through these drug cartels, these corporate cartels, big farmer cartels. This is a long conflict within our communities also. So I'd say there's this constant state of reactionism. First of all, I absolutely agree with you. And this is our greatest problem. In fact, even from the assassination of a child, an indigenous child that was protecting his territory, uh, which brought us together today, to the largest issues in the planet, everything this system is doing now, this mentality is doing now, is reactive. And nothing reactive solves anything. In fact, it generates complicity with the process and it doesn't help us understand what's happening. So first and foremost, I'll just reiterate what you just said. We cannot continue to be reactive because Mother Earth doesn't, cannot take this anymore. We're going into a catastrophe and we know that for a fact in Colombia. So if we're not to be reactive and, and re reactionary about everything that happens, then what should we do? And that is the challenge. We have to change our mentalities. We have to change the way in which we look at everything. I had not been in the U.S. for many years. And it really astonishes me to get the feeling this is an island within a world that is dying. And a world that is dying as a consequence of this island and this island mentality where people keep thinking selfishly that they can go out and buy their own stuff and confuse their personal right to buy whatever and to keep property and to have more and more and to mind their own business, to confuse that with freedom and democracy and rights, which it is, it is not. So long as people keep looking after their own and their own benefits and their own wealth and wanting to acquire more, those who cannot, and those who have wanting to protect it and to uh, present it as achievements, this is killing the planet. It is killing us and it is destroying everything. I'd like to say this to people that listen to you and to this program and beyond, if I could. The planet is dying. There's, an, there's a war uh, throughout the planet and there's a destruction of nature. This one 
COVID pandemic is not the last one. In fact, we haven't begun to understand it and relate it to this kind of behavior. The profit being made by big pharma from this has to be critically addressed. Uh, vaccines are not the solution for COVID, even if they work. I'm not arguing against it. What I'm saying is this was first and foremost for them to make money. So we are falling to a massive war everywhere. And you know, you know what? The greatest and largest economy of the planet has the complicity of its people in maintaining this suicidal path into an abyss uh, and of collapse. The rest of the world seems to be waking up, not everywhere, but the contrast between what goes on within the U.S. and within the heart and spirits of U.S. citizens is in dire contrast with what's going on every, everywhere. Bigger cars, more consumerism, and the planet dying. So my, my thought, my feeling goes in that direction. Change. Listen to Mother Earth. Now, people say it's utopian to speak this way. And Mother Earth is telling us what is utopian is to keep thinking that this system can go on. It cannot. And uh, Brainerd David has shown us that when you stand up in conscience to defend a planet without weapons, you're showing us the way.
And you are listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse, your host, bringing you the news of indigenous peoples all over the world as a community that we are of the earth and long-time sustainability, long-time evolving from the lands that we are from, and we cannot hold punches anymore. This is happening and has been happening for the last 500 years, believe it or not, for those of you who aren't uh, steeped in history of this country or the colonizational history that has affected the world and our well-being, and not just as humans, but all life that's been here, live, trying to live with the struggle of colonization, the numbing effect, the addictions, also the ideas that are brought forth and still moving within the fabric of people's society, in this case, civilization. And we were talking with Manuel Rosenthal, who is a doctor who lives in Colombia with the Nasa people in southern Colombia, Cauca region. And I'd like to welcome you back again to the second part of and finish out this interview with Manuel Rosenthal. And the song that you heard closing that out was That Smell by the Leonard Skinner Band. And some of you who don't and never heard this type of music before. It's the Southern rock I'd come across when I was very young and looking at friends who were not understanding their own addiction, either behavior to a substance or how it got to them in the first place through dealings with even drug cartels and how we, we tend to desensitize ourselves because we're looking for the temporary high addiction to it and we want more every time. We could talk about this in a psychological context, but hey, 
if you've been addicted and you've come through a lot and understand what Manuel Rosenthal is talking about when Native people, Indigenous people, unarmed, are really struggling to define why it's happening to them when all they're doing is trying to live spiritually, sustainably with the land, as all Indigenous peoples anywhere are doing, even here within the United States, within North America. And back to this interview. Thank you so much, uh, Manuel Rosenthal. All the, the people who are trying to define humanity or the humaneness or the humanness within humanity, we're so diasporic. We don't know what humanity is anymore. It's always been the case of the earth. Mother Earth has always defined our humanity. If you see where she has always made us human, but we have isolated ourselves by saying this is how humane humans behave. But I don't see that happening right now. And I'm pretty much an optimist. And and I think in that this journey that we're all on, we are all on the same journey of trying to bypass and we, we overanalyze and sometimes we don't even analyze. But when it comes to the children, the children, as you described, the 14-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 12-year-old act, activists now that are receiving death threats because they're speaking up about the environment, so to speak, the climate change as grief, a lot of Native people are saying, not just a measured climate change, but it's grief. And I think a lot of Indigenous peoples and other people who are Indigenously inclined are feeling this grief of Mother Earth. Your thoughts on that, Manuel? Uh, yes, that's that's where we are. We we don't have any other option but to recognize this Anthropocene, that this this selfishness, that thinking that we are separate, different, and above life itself and the rhythms of life is is a mistake, and it's leading to death and disaster, and grief. Absolutely, we have to realize that. If we go back to becoming weavers with Mother Earth, of Mother Earth's territories, then life will be possible. But if you think of capitalism, greed, selfishness, patriarchy, the domination of others and Mother Earth, they are actually tearing apart what should be woven together. Either we are part of the territories and the land, everywhere and help to keep each territory as an organ of one living mother earth or it will die and it is dying and we go to i go to the ocean near where i live and i used to see when i was a child coral reef very close to the shore now those are dead rocks and there's no the, the sea is dead over there If we don't feel that pain and if we don't connect to this death and become part of the revival of this planet and find ways to do it, it will end. And the main, main, main action to be taken is greed is stupid. It is stupid. The enjoyment of life in harmony and balance is wisdom. So are we going to remain stupid and kill each other and Mother Earth, or are we going to feel with her and live? 
I, I have that question and it pains me. But it is wonderful to be able to talk to you because it's very difficult to find spaces where this is simply the case and it's understood. I want to thank you for being one of the few few voices speaking on being in the now of the earth and rhythm with the earth, as well as what's happening to the people who are protecting the earth, the unarmed guard of the Nasa people, indigenous peoples everywhere that that are defending Mother Earth, not having the affections of violence toward Mother Earth. And I want to thank you for that. It's a, always an honor to talk to you, brother. Same yeah. here. It's wonderful to see you and you look well and you feel very strong. Okay, thank you.
It's like severing our relationship to power is the objective. Our use of our intelligence, see, and our coherency. So all this cloudy is created, this illusion, because really it is. Crazy Horse said we live in the shadow of the real world, see, and we really, really do. Under the male dominator, creator theory, see, all spiritual value really is removed away from the earth. So the earth isn't your mother anymore. The earth is the dominion and property of this new God, and you are to subdue it. See, that's like Martians landing. It really is, see, because it's a completely different perceptional reality. Going from caring for the earth, all right, to dominating the earth. And incidentally, you know, as a part of this process, see, you, incidentally, you created a moral crime for being born. So therefore, you have to listen to the authority of this new male God because you made a crime for being here. You see, before, before that was brought here, life was a gift. So when, when you were born, it was like an exchange of gifts, a, a gift to a gift. And even dying was like a gift because it was, once again, it was an exchange of life because we were a part of a spiritual reality as physical beings. But anyway, this other thing, see, changed about there was something wrong with us for being born. See, and it's maybe a big thing. Or See, to me, I think it's a major thing because, see, the first time that human being gets this, that they're guilty, all right, for being born, it alters their perception of self. It alters them from seeing themselves from the reality of who they are because they're picking up someone's illusion and they're viewing themselves through the illusion. And the way that that illusion seems to work, see, people don't learn from their guilt. They just make new guilts. See, so it, to me, in the end, it becomes a deal about irresponsibility. So even though all the words are being said, see, it's an irresponsible behavior. It's an irresponsible behavior because we are responsible for what we do. But when they condition us to feel guilty, and then we have to listen to their chain of command and be submissive to them, we are not taking responsibility. And we are not showing respect to our Creator, whoever it is, all right, for the gift of intelligence and life. All right, I'd like to thank you for all joining us here on First Voices Radio. Again, my name is Teokasin Ghost Horse, and uh, that was Uncle John Trudell with Spatial Moon meaning space occupied out there somewhere and fulfilling. And it's from the album Somewhere in There, a 2016 release by moi, myself, and with help from Alex Alexander, Joy Askew, John Benthal, Jonathan Arons, Jeremy Hosea, Eric Boyd, David Azad, Tommy Mandel, and, of course, Teokas and Ghost Horse. With that, um, I'd like to ask you to visit Akantu Institute where you would find how we contextualize original wisdom for these troubled times. And that's part of that in akantuinstitute.org, A-K-A-N-T-U institute.org. And also you can go to that patreon.com slash ghost horse. Well, to outro this all here, I would like to say that Leonard Peltier, a Turtle Mountain band of Chippewa Indians out in North Dakota, has tested positive for COVID-19 at the Coleman Federal Correctional Complex in Florida. Peltier is 77 years old, and uh, he tested positive. Most people are concerned, 
And according to some articles, Peltier has not received his vaccination booster shot, if that means anything to some of you people out there. So here is uh, his health has been a concern for a long time, even before the, the virus. And, and again, he has heart problems, diabetes. So those of you who do not know about Leonard Peltier, you can um, think about how he's been spending 46 years inside these prison walls and for not really being proved to shoot these two FBI agents. And for a long time, Amnesty International, human rights organizations, uh, 50 members of Congress, including the Judge Gerald Haney of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, who sat as a member of the court in two of Peltier's appeals, have called for his immediate release. And so his diagnosis comes just two days after the chairman of the U.S. Senate Committee and on Indian Affairs, Senate Brian Schatz, of the Democrat of Hawaii, sent a letter to President Joe Biden that urged the president to commute the Peltier sentence. So I'd like to say thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. Where all is possibility. Where a 
presence exists and must be faced. Yes. Yeah. 